0: Good morning. It's good to see all of you. If you'd please take your Bibles and turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, Pastor, I thought we'd be turning to the last chapter of Jeremiah because we're all done with Jeremiah. You're right. We are all done with Jeremiah. But I think it's important for us that after the many, many weeks we've spent in Jeremiah for us to go flying way up high Back to the beginning, and look over the entire book in one big picture. And now some of you who know me might be saying, yeah, try that. I'm going to try. We're going to try this morning to look at the whole book of Jeremiah. And we've spent a lot of time looking at individual pieces of it over the past many weeks, and seeing and learning about Jeremiah, about the nation of Judah. But now this week, what I'd like to do is look at the big picture, helping us to see where Jeremiah is and also preparing us because we're going to soon launch into the book of Daniel. And a lot of the book of Daniel actually overlaps with the book of Jeremiah and some of the history is parallel. So it will help us to have an understanding of everything. But I'd also like for us to look at some lessons that we can learn from the life of Jeremiah as a whole. Now, we've learned lots of lessons from the life of Jeremiah, from the book of Jeremiah. But I'd like to look at the whole of it and look at and consider some of the lessons. And one of the most profound lessons that I'd like for you this morning to help me watch for has to do with the word faithfulness. Did you know the song, The Hymn We Sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness, actually comes from the writings of Jeremiah? Jeremiah? And Jeremiah is one in his life and ministry that illustrates for us faithfulness. Two kinds of faithfulness. The first kind is God's faithfulness. Did you know that God is always faithful? He is always true. He is always dependable. He is always one whom we can rely on, and he is always one we can trust. And it's because he is faithful, when he calls us As he called Jeremiah to do something, he will be faithful in helping us to do what he has called us or commanded us to do. But I said there's two parts of faithfulness. The first one has to do with who? I just told you. God. That's right. Well, you know what the second part of faithfulness has to do with? Me. And you all could say that too. Me. You. Just as it was in Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And we will see throughout the book of Jeremiah, not only will we see God's faithfulness, but we will see faithfulness in the life of Jeremiah. So that's one of the things I'd like for you to watch for this morning, is God's faithfulness and the faithfulness of Jeremiah. And I pray that it will help you to know God is faithful and help you to be faithful in what God has for you. There's another truth we can learn from the book of Jeremiah. It's kind of a sad one. Jeremiah 17 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? we're going to find out here today that even though Jeremiah preached and there seemed to be some people who responded, that many, 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 many of the people did not really believe God in their hearts. And how important it is for us to let God search our hearts to see if there be any wicked way in us and to lead us in the way everlasting. It is so very important for us to truly, from the heart, trust God and obey him jeremiah well how does he fit in and how does his book fit in with the whole rest of the bible just in review you've seen we have our 11 foundational books of the old testament these are the 11 books of the total in the old testament they give us the basic history of the old testament and you'll notice jeremiah is not one of them That's because Jeremiah is a complimentary book and it fits right in at the very end of the book of 2 Kings. Now, if you've been paying attention and it's been really hard for us, We figured out that jeremiah bounces all over the place here's a chart that i've given to you and again if you don't have a copy of our charts for jeremiah i have a few more of these printed available for you here and this is one of the charts that shows how the book of jeremiah bounces around chronologically and so it's not just start at the beginning of jeremiah read to the end it does actually start off chronologically at the beginning and end chronologically at the end but in between it goes all over the place as you can see here in this chart Um, showing how it bounces back and forth. Also, another chart I have for you in this same booklet shows all of the events of Jeremiah, and I know it's a lot of detail, but outlined in it. And this is a good resource for you to keep whenever you read the book of Jeremiah to just see how things fit together. Where are we at in the big picture of history? Well, you know, we've seen this chart before as well, breaking history into periods of 2,000 years. And it begins way back in the beginning with creation. Creation. When God created everything, the fall of man, we learned about the flood and the Tower of Babel. We learned about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we learned about Moses and Joshua, and we learned about the era of the judges and the era of the kings, and we have the captivity and restoration of Judah and Israel. The intertestament, that's between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the coming of Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ, and then we have the church age. And oh, that's where the book of Jeremiah fits in right at the very end of the era of the kings and into the time of the captivity. It overlaps with the book of Daniel. So it fits right there. That's where the book of Jeremiah fits. How does it fit in with the era of the kings? Well, you've seen this chart. I hope you're familiar with this. Here we see the end of the judges on this chart, there with Samson being one of the last and the prophets Samuel and Eli up top. And we see Saul and David and Solomon you remember that the kingdom divided then and this has all kinds of names and dates on it of the time going by but we've flown through all of these kings and not just these kings we come to the end of the northern kingdom israel and the southern kingdoms continued and we come to the end of the southern kingdom and here is where we see jeremiah do you see where the yellow bar is That's where the ministry of Jeremiah began. So all of the events we've been learning about over these many weeks began there in the days of King Josiah. King Josiah. And he continued through all those final kings of Josiah's sons and grandson and continued far into the captivity. If we believe, and I think we have good reason to believe, that Jeremiah wrote even the very last few verses of his book then that means that his ministry lasted approximately 66, 67 years. His ministry lasted almost 70 years. And we know he began very young because he even told God when God called him, but I'm a child. And here we can see in all of this, he perhaps lived to almost 90 years old. God was faithful to Jeremiah. And the promises he made to Jeremiah in the first chapter of this book, there in the days of Josiah, good and wonderful days in the nation, God kept them even when it reached the darkest, ugliest, most horrific time in all of Israel's history. God was still faithful to Jeremiah all these many, many, many years When did his ministry begin? Now, we've been learning about Jeremiah, and oftentimes, at least throughout a lot of my time, I've always thought of Jeremiah as the guy who was writing Lamentations and always in the time in which he was in the pit and when he was in the stocks and the bonds. Is that your impression of Jeremiah? It's been my impression of Jeremiah because it seems like most of what he's faced has been opposition and problems and troubles. But if we actually look in, To the beginning of his ministry, it actually took place in the days of King Josiah. Now tell me, was King Josiah a good king or a bad king? He was a good king. He was a good king, and he became a king when he was only eight years old. How many of you are eight? A few of you are eight. Eight years old. You want to be king? Yeah, I wouldn't want to be king, especially when we learn more about this poor guy, King Josiah. Well, we learned that when he was 16 years old, Josiah began to seek after God. And then when he was 20 years old, he began to issue commands and actually take full authority that he had as a 20-year-old over the nation. And this is a key part. We think of Josiah as this godly king. It's right here that Jeremiah's ministry begins. Right here, Look, that's in the middle of Josiah's reign. Now, oftentimes we don't learn a lot about Jeremiah during Josiah's reign. Do you know why? Because Jeremiah didn't have much opposition. He just continued preaching and he was faithful in all of the good times of Josiah. Because you remember in the days of Josiah, there was a lot that happened. Jeremiah started his ministry before they found the law of God. Do you remember that in the days of Josiah? They found the law of God in the temple when they were cleaning it up? Now, it's unlikely that they ever lost it. They just neglected it. And they found it, and they began to read it, and they realized how much they needed, needed God. Jeremiah was one of the preachers in this time who was helping all of them through this history and through these issues. You remember that when they brought this, Shaphan took it and read it to King Josiah. And then Jeremiah, or Josiah, he was just weeping over his realization that the nation had been disobeying God's word, God's law. And so he sent some very important people. To a person. Does anybody remember her name? Holda. Yes, I heard it out there. And do you know that Holda was Jeremiah's aunt? Yes, they sent, or the King Josiah sent a message to Holda, what do we do? And she said, basically, obey it, but it's too late. Judgment's coming. The nation will be judged because the nation is so evil. Well, Josiah begins, remember here now, Jeremiah and Huldah, Huldah's his aunt. Josiah now, in these remaining years of his, his, his reign, begins great reforms throughout the land of Judah. Many, many reforms. And now keep in mind, we read about these reforms in 2 Kings. But we oftentimes forget to connect, at least I do, that Jeremiah is one of the preachers that is helping Josiah bring about many of these reforms. Lots of things take place. I had wanted to go through all of them and review them here today, but really, we don't have time to deal with all of them. And so I'm just going to skip ahead here of all the idolatry that Jeremiah and Josiah and the people had torn down and removed from the land and had brought about what we call would, would be revival. But you know, I don't think we should probably call it revival. Do you know why I don't think we should call it revival? It's because their hearts weren't changed. And we know that not from 2 Kings or from 2 Chronicles. We know that from the book of Jeremiah. Because it tells us that Jeremiah was preaching in such and such a year of Josiah's reign. And chapters 1 through 12 actually are sermons that are given in the days of Josiah. And we find out that the people's hearts are not right with God. We find even in Chronicles, it does acknowledge that there was a problem. And we find that affirmed for us in Jeremiah chapter 3 where it says, Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart. It means only just a little bit. But feignedly. What's that mean? Fakely. Judah had turned to God fakely. And this is what the Lord said. Over in Jeremiah chapter 12, it tells us that, that the people are near to God with their mouth. That means they're quick to say, I believe in God. Yes, this is true. But in their hearts, God says, they are far from me. They're far from me. This is a lesson for all of us and as well. We see the faithfulness of God and we see the faithfulness of Jeremiah. Are we a faithful people? And I don't mean just in words, but truly from the heart. Remember last week we learned about the people saying, oh, Jeremiah, years later in Egypt, years later at the end, Jeremiah, all of our problems started when we stopped worshiping the queen of heaven. They are all referring back to these early sermons of Jeremiah in the days of Josiah, when they were worshiping the queen of heaven and all other pagan, idolatrous, evil worships. And through the preaching of Jeremiah and the political reforms of Josiah they had stopped and they tell Jeremiah this is all because of our trouble and they refused to recognize that the real trouble was as Huldah had said it was simply too late. Judgment was coming. So when we read this in Jeremiah we must take heed. That means listen and do something about it. Do we serve God, love God with just our lips or truly from our This all took place, as you can see here, in the days of Josiah. Remember there, you see the blinking yellow line. That's where Jeremiah began his ministry. And so you can see that there were about 10 years, just over 10 years of Jeremiah's ministry that was in a time of great reform in the nation of Judah. But then Josiah was killed one of Pharaoh Necho, the king of Egypt's archers, arrow hit him. He was brought back to Jerusalem, and there he died. And so the kingdom began to change. Josiah died, and the people set up his youngest son, Jehoahaz, as king after him. But remember Pharaoh Necho? And his army, the archer that killed King Josiah, he came to Jerusalem and he said, oh, no, 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 Jehoahaz is not going to be king. And he fulfilled a prophecy that Jeremiah had made that was that um, Jehoahaz would be taken away from the land of his nativity, the land he was born in, to a foreign land and never again see his homeland. And sure enough, when Pharaoh Necho came to Jerusalem, He removed Jehoahaz from being king, and he set up the eldest, presumably living son, because the other one we don't have anything but his name, Jehoiakim, as king. And he carried Jehoahaz off to Egypt, and we never hear anything again about Jehoahaz. And so here we have Egypt, but Egypt's not really the real threat that's going on in this time. We have Nebuchadnezzar. But let's, before we go in and look at Nebuchadnezzar, let's look again a little bit about Jeremiah and his personal life. Now, how many of you are married? Oh good. How many of you want to be married? Oh good. These two up here in the front row raise their hand. Did you see that? Well, imagine being Jeremiah. God came to Jeremiah, and you know what? I'm glad to be married. And um, I'm so happy to be married to Evelyn. But God told Jeremiah, you can't be married. You can't be married. And the reason he gave him is is because there is such trouble and calamity coming to this land that I wouldn't want your wife nor your children to endure it. Don't get married. Not only that, God told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you can't go to funerals. When people die, you can't go and mourn for them because the day is coming when there will be so few people, there won't be any people left to mourn. And so when people ask, why didn't you go to the funeral? You say to them, the day is coming when judgment will come, when so many will die, there won't be any left. Calamity would be so much trouble, you won't even have opportunity to mourn. So Jeremiah couldn't get married. He couldn't go to funerals. In fact, he couldn't even go to weddings. Here, this was a celebration. Look at all those people back there. Some of you are in that picture. All coming to a wedding. God told Jeremiah, no, you can't even go to weddings. And when people ask, why didn't you go to the wedding? You'll tell them, because the day is coming when there will be so much trouble and calamity that you won't be able to celebrate. So Jeremiah couldn't go to weddings. God had a special purpose for him to preach to preach. And we find him throughout all the book of Jeremiah preaching, preaching in so many different places. And one of the main places he was preaching was in the temple. And what's really sad is that you would think that in the temple where the priests were serving, he would get the most support. But the truth was, is that in the temple is where he got the most opposition. For the priests and the princes opposed him and opposed him and sought to kill him over and over and over again. You remember, though, that there were some princes who intervened and stopped and said, no, we defend Jeremiah. You will not kill him. You will not take him. They hid Jeremiah, but you remember the prophet that we often forget, Uriah? One of Jeremiah's friends. He wasn't protected, and he was murdered. He was martyred by the priests, the religious leaders in Jerusalem. God used Jeremiah to send many messages to the people. One of the most significant that was profound in his day is he, God told Jeremiah to make yokes and bonds. And that's exactly what Jeremiah did. He made yokes and bonds. And it's implied as we compare the chronology that Jeremiah wore these yokes and bonds for 11 years. Why? Because people would see him, like, what's the deal with Jeremiah? Everywhere he goes, he carries this yoke with bonds. And he would tell people, submit to the king of Babylon. Keep in mind here, the king of Babylon hasn't even come into the land yet. He'd say, submit to him, submit to him, because you will submit to him. So choose yourself to put yourself under the yoke of Babylon so that as you submit to the yoke, you will live. He carried that yoke and those bonds for 11 years as he continued to preach to the people. He told them, God has been good and God has been faithful to you. God will be good and faithful to keep his promises of judgment too. Turn to him, trust him, obey him because the day is coming when the ground will look like this. The ground will be parched and cracked. There'll be no moisture. No moisture there'll be no rain. The sky will be as brass and the ground like iron. Turn to God while there's still time. But they wouldn't turn. He warned them and told them that the livestock of the land will all die. And as we continue reading in the history, we find out that it did die. Some people had some real big problems with Jeremiah on all of this. How could God do this to his people? And so God sent Jeremiah to the potter's house, and he says, go to the potter's house and go there and watch the potter as the potter takes the clay and molds it and shapes it and forms it. And that's exactly what Jeremiah did. He went to the potter's house, and he watched the potter as the potter turned the wheel and the clay on that wheel and shaped the vessel. And as he watched that potter shaping a pot. All of a sudden, in the midst of this all, that potter marred the pot. He messed it up on purpose. And then that potter reshaped something else, something new. And this was a lesson for Jeremiah to share with all of the people Judah, you are like that pot. You are like that clay. And God said, I am like the potter, and I am shaping and molding you. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. I want you to submit to me and let me. But they wouldn't. And when God chose to mar the pot, they just wanted to become bitter. And God says, no, no, this is within the right of the potter, the potter to be able to mar the pot so that the potter can reshape it into something else. But you know what? The message of the potter didn't get through to the people. In fact, Jeremiah then went and took the elders of the people on outside the city, and he took a pot that had been fired, and he threw it on the ground. And you see all the little pieces of the pot broken on the ground. And he told all of the people, this is the house of Judah. This is your nation. Because you will not submit to your God. You will not obey. You will become as worthless potsherds, broken pieces of of pottery. Well, as Jeremiah after told all of the people this, you would think that they would realize that they need to trust God, they need to obey. But no. As Jeremiah was entering back into the city, they grabbed him and they put him in stocks and bonds and they left him there. Very unpleasant in that situation. We find out in this situation that Jeremiah was miserable As you can imagine, it was in this time that we read about Jeremiah quitting. (laughs) He basically quits. But as he is miserable and thinking about quitting, he realizes, no, God's faithful. And God's word is real in my life and in my heart. And God's word is like a fire shut up in my bones. He says it is as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And he says, I am weary to forbear. I'm weary to not keep preaching. So I have to keep preaching. And he started preaching from the stocks and the bonds. He was delivered from those stocks and bonds just in time for the Babylonian army to invade Jerusalem and and does anybody know what year? What's the year of the first captivity? Who knows the first year? Shout it out. 606, yes, 606 B.C. is the first deportation. Nebuchadnezzar carries away the princes of the nation of Judah as hostages. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are among those captives. In fact, the histories that we're beginning to learn now actually overlaps with the history of Daniel. Events that are taking place in Judah, also there are events taking place in Babylon. They're overlapping. Remember all of the signs? Jeremiah is still carrying that yoke. Repent, he says. Submit to the king of Babylon and live, because if you don't, you will die. God has been faithful to Jeremiah in all of this. Faithful to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah has been faithful. Are we faithful? Are we faithful every day? In 606 BC, some faithful men were carried from Jerusalem captive to Babylon. They were faithful ones, actually. In fact, we're going to learn a little bit while later, they were, the, they were the good figs. They were the good apples. But Jeremiah gathers the people together now outside the temple, and he gathers the Rechabites. You remember the Rechabites? And he puts before them wine, and he says to them, Drink! And they say, Oh, no. Many generations ago, our great-great-great-great-granddaddy said that we will not live in the city and build us houses, we will live in tents, and we will never drink wine. And Jeremiah says to all of the people, look here at these people. They obey a dead man. They obey a great, 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 great granddaddy who's been dead for generations. Will you take heed and will you obey the living God? God is living, and he's giving you commands to turn from your wickedness and your sins to God, to trust him, and in this case, to also submit to the king of the Babylon. Will you submit to him? Will you obey the living God? Look at these people. They obey a dead man. Will you obey God? It's about this time that Jeremiah begins to write the first edition of Jeremiah, and he writes it on a scroll. He and his scribe, Barak, they spend over a year writing this scroll. And when they finish writing that first edition of Jeremiah, Barak takes it into the temple and he begins to read it publicly to the people. Some of the princes and scribes take notice in her and realize there's truth being proclaimed here. But they realize that there are many people who won't want to hear this truth. So they tell Barak, go, hide yourselves. Hide, Jeremiah. Hide. And then they bring the scroll to his majesty, the king, who at this time now is Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim, they bring this scroll to and and they begin to read it. And after they read every little section, you know what he does with it? He takes his penknife and he cuts it and he throws it into the fire that's before him in his winter palace. And he burns up that whole scroll of Jeremiah. He would not listen. He would not listen. About this time, I think if I were Barak and Jeremiah, I'd say, I give up. I quit. But Jeremiah and Barak, again, write the second edition. They write the same as what they had written before, as God had instructed them, and now they add to it, it says, many other words. And they so... They write of, the, of these truths. Oh, I gotta say, look at this close. slide closely, and that's the one time tech fails. Did you see where that king was? He was the son of Jehoiakim. Well, that son of Jehoiakim is about to be carried away captive by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon. And in fact, he is the one when we turn to the very last chapter, to the very last verses of Jeremiah, we find it is talking about this guy. So this guy whom we know very little about, he reigned for just a few months until he was carried away captive. He was very young, probably 18 years old, and he reigned only a few months when the second major deportation took place in 597 B.C. is when Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, or Coniah, or Jeconiah, he's got three names, is carried away captive to Babylon along with 10,000 other of the tradesmen and skilled people of the land, including Mordecai and Ezekiel, Ezekiel the prophet. And so, Jeconiah, or Jehoiakim, Coniah, is carried away captive. He's no longer king. And at this point, Nebuchadnezzar sets up a new king. His name is Zedekiah. So you see here, we've come from Josiah being king to Jehoahaz to Jehoiakim to Jeconiah to Zedekiah. Zedekiah now is no longer a sovereign king. That means he's not one in charge. He is accountable to Nebuchadnezzar. Now remember our question, our theme of God's faithfulness, of Jeremiah's faithfulness. You see these kings? They have come, and they have gone. Some of them have hunted and persecuted Jeremiah, but Jeremiah stays faithful because through all of it, God is faithful. Are we faithful? Things change around us. Are we faithful people knowing that our God is faithful? So Zedekiah is now king. Zedekiah and Jeremiah had a weird relationship Zedekiah always wanted to know from Jeremiah what the word of the Lord was, so then he could proceed to exactly do the opposite. He always wanted to know what God had to say, so that he could then ignore it. But yet he always wanted to know what God had to say. And God over and over revealed to him truth through Jeremiah, preaching to him, Submit to Nebuchadnezzar, submit. In fact, Jeremiah preached to them over and over. He preached to them the message of the figs. You guys remember the figs? The good figs and the naughty figs? You know, remember our apples? I thought about making rotten apples again, but I thought that wouldn't work. I wasn't going to destroy good apples, and I didn't have any rotten apples. The good figs and the naughty figs. Well, the good figs are like Daniel, Hananiah, and Mishael. They've been carried away to captive to Babylon. They're the righteous. But the naughty, the naughty figs, are those who are not righteous, And God says, they will be judged. They will die. He even says the good ones will be the ones that are carried away captive. The naughty, the evil figs, they will die, comparing the people to these figs. And it's then at this time that Jeremiah begins to write. He writes of judgment, both of the nation of Judah and the surrounding nations, of how God will judge them. But in the midst of all of his writings about judgment, Jeremiah also writes of restoration. He writes of restoring of the kingdom. He writes of the new covenant. And now here it is after the second deportation and after 11 years when Jeremiah made those stocks and bonds... He gathers together all the ambassadors of the other nations and he delivers to them these words of judgment, warnings of God, and tells them, not just Judah, but all of you nations. I have a yoke and stock and bonds for all of you, a yoke and bonds for all of you as assigned to you. Submit to Nebuchadnezzar. Submit to the Babylonians. Again, imagine imagine if in the United States we had all of our ambassadors come together and we wanted to give them dignitary gifts and we gave them chains and shackles. (laughs) That would really go over politically, wouldn't it? Well, that's what Jeremiah here does, but it's a sign. Will the people listen? Well, you know they wouldn't because there was one man who came and he took that yoke of Jeremiah and you remember what he did to it? He took it and he broke it. And he said to him, he said to all of the people, No, what Jeremiah says is a lie. Jeremiah speaks falsehood, falsehood. Jeremiah is a liar. The yoke of Babylon, the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar will be broken within two years. And he took that yoke from Jeremiah and he busted it in front of all of the people, saying, Nebuchadnezzar will not be successful. But tell me, is God faithful to keep his promises and his words of judgment? He is. He is. That man who broke those yokes and bonds died. And a short time later, instead of Nebuchadnezzar falling and failing, he besieged Jerusalem. And the situation in Jerusalem became worse and worse and worse. The glory of the Lord departs from Jerusalem. Ezekiel over in Babylon, he does have a wife and his wife dies and God says, don't mourn for her because my wife, Jerusalem, will fall and I will not mourn for her because of her great wickedness. Zedekiah the king comes to Jeremiah and he says, Jeremiah, we've been besieged by the Babylonians. Pray for us. Poor Jeremiah. How many times did people come to him and ask him to pray for him and they didn't really mean it? Here it is again. Well, what happened is that Zedekiah had actually ignored the consul of Jeremiah and he had actually rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar and that's what brought Nebuchadnezzar back to Jerusalem to bring judgment upon the city. There's a lot of events that takes place. You remember that Egypt comes to help Zedekiah, Nebuchadnezzar leaves Jerusalem to go and fight against Egypt, that little thorn in his side from down south, doesn't go very far, takes care of that little rebellion and comes back to Jerusalem, besieges it. But you remember in the middle of that, Jeremiah goes, now we can get out of the city of Jerusalem. And so you remember Jeremiah decided that he was going to leave Jerusalem, leaving this. So he starts to go out of the north gate, which is where his hometown was, just north of the city of Jerusalem. And on his way out, they stop him. And they say, oh, no, you don't. Jeremiah, you're a traitor. You're deserting us to go join those Babylonians. They take Jeremiah and they drag him into the inner court of the inner prism and they lower him down into a miry pit, down into the sewage at the bottom where they leave him to die. Thankfully, there was one man who goes to the king and says, King, you can't let this happen. You've got to stop this. You've got to intervene in this. You have to pull Jeremiah out of there. He will die. Thankfully, Zedekiah the king listens and sends an Ethiopian, a prominent man of an Ethiopian descendant, to pull up Jeremiah, up out of that pit, and to deliver him. Nonetheless, Jeremiah stays in prison. But while he's in prison, even though all of the real estate around Jerusalem is tanking, I mean, like, really bad tanking, you know, Jeremiah buys land from his cousin. And he buys this land as a sign to all of the people and to all of the city. Listen, even though Nebuchadnezzar is about to show back, actually at this time, Nebuchadnezzar had come back and besieged the city again. So this land he was buying was currently occupied by the enemy, ransacked, destroyed. And here he buys this land, and it's a sign to the people saying, God will keep his promises. God is keeping his promises right now of bringing judgment upon this land, but God will keep his promise in bringing restoration and restoring and bringing you back to this land. So, buy land. Best time to buy real estate. Buy land. And he sets the example by buying land. He goes on to make amazing promises to say, you know the ordinances of heaven? All the planets, they move in their particular place around the sun and the earth, all of it in particular the physics of it are fascinating to study all of the ordinances these orders how god has ordered the heavens in order for god to break his promises that he has made to abraham to isaac and to jacob these would fail you know the sun that rises and sets every single morning a evidence of god's mercy of god's faithfulness his faithfulness is new every morning God says in order for God to break his promises, the sun would have to fail to rise and fail to set. God will keep his promises. And these messages are preached to Zedekiah. Will Zedekiah listen? Does he listen? No, he doesn't listen. He absolutely ignores the messages and the sermons of Jeremiah. And Jerusalem falls into disaster, famine, pestilence. The city is besieged. People are dying. There is great lamentations. Jeremiah writes the book of lamentations, weeping, weeping over the horrors that he sees in Jerusalem. The situation is horrific. And finally, in 586 B.C., Jerusalem falls. Jerusalem falls. And all the remaining of the people, except for the very poor, are carried away captive, including Jeremiah. But Nebuchadnezzar, you remember, the king of Babylon, had given special instructions to Nebuzaradan, his general, saying, do to Jeremiah whatever he says to do. Well, Jeremiah got carried away captive, but not long after Nebuzaradan figured it out, and Nebuzaradan was brought before the king, or before Nebuzaradan, his chains were taken off, he was given gifts and money and food, and he was said, you can come with us to Babylon, you can go back to Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan appointed Gedaliah as the governor over the region, and told Jeremiah he was free to do what he will. Jeremiah went back with Gedaliah, who was put in charge of the people. You remember that many of the people came to Gedaliah that were left in the land, including some of the refugees and those freedom fighters. One of them was Ishmael. You remember him? Ishmael ends up assassinating Gedaliah and starts to carry away the people captive to Ammon. Meanwhile, Jehoihan, another man who was a freedom fighter, comes and he rescues the people from Ishmael. Two of Ishmael's 10 men die in this battle. And in this um, Han rescues the people and brings them on back towards Jerusalem. They end up at Bethlehem with the plan to go to Egypt. And this is more recent for us. We know this, don't we? And Jeremiah preaches to him and says, Don't go to Egypt. If you go to Egypt, if you go to Egypt, you will die either by the sword or by famine or by pestilence. Don't go to Egypt. Did they listen to Jeremiah? No. They went to Egypt and they took Jeremiah with them as captive. Time went by and you remember Jeremiah in Egypt said to them, "Huh? why do you worship the gods of Egypt? Because now as they've come to Jeremiah, come to Egypt, you know what they start doing? They start doing what they used to do back in the early days of Josiah. They start worshiping again the queen of heaven. Do you see all of this? God has demonstrated his faithfulness in all of this, and the people have demonstrated their unfaithfulness, and Jeremiah has demonstrated faithfulness in all these periods of time. And these people show that all this time, their hearts have really been to worship their own gods their own way. And you remember that Jeremiah tells them, he says, listen, you all think that you'll be safe here in Egypt? No, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and he is going to conquer the land of Egypt and it's going to be this hard for him. Oh, just as hard as it would be to put on a cloak. That's how hard it's going to be for Nebuchadnezzar, to conquer Egypt and in fact that day he took and he put big stones in the clay of the stones that were they were working on the palace of the the pharaoh of the king of Egypt and he hid them in those bricks the mud clay bricks and then they either made pavements out of them or built walls with them and Jeremiah says the day will come when Nebuchadnezzar will build his royal pavilion on top of these stones as we learned last week that meant the walls had to come down And that's exactly what happened less than 15 years later. Nebuchadnezzar, we learn from secular history, came down into Egypt. He conquered Egypt, crushed them. And that particular city, he flattened it and set up one of his prominent royal pavilions, just like Jeremiah said he would. It's interesting because that was the last sermon of Jeremiah there in Egypt. What happened to him? That's a great question. Don't know. I believe Jeremiah was used to write the whole book of Jeremiah, including the last few verses. And if you turn to the last chapter of Jeremiah, it gives us some history. But I'd like to recount for you a little bit of the events that have been taking place over in Babylon to set the stage for our study of Daniel. Daniel, his three friends, were carried away captive to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar's vision of the image has already happened. It happened actually before the fall of Jerusalem. Now, here, Nebuchadnezzar has also conquered Jerusalem, Moab, Ammon. And Egypt's the last one, and it's in that time that Nebuchadnezzar makes his image out of all gold and commands Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to worship it along with everyone else. Remember that? That happens. And then Tyre, that great city, surrenders to Nebuchadnezzar. And then in 571 B.C., Egypt is conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. And again, just as one would put on a garment. He did it with ease. A world power he conquered. And it's at that time Nebuchadnezzar returns back to Babylon and he has a dream of a great tree. Remember that? We're going to learn about it. And in that tree, he's warned of his pride because now Nebuchadnezzar, oh yes, he's the great one. He's conquered everything and everyone. And he's warned of his pride. And God judges Nebuchadnezzar, and for seven years, he, he behaves almost like an animal. And at the end of those seven years, Nebuchadnezzar declares to his empire that the God of Daniel is the one true God. And shortly after that, Nebuchadnezzar dies, and his son, evil Muradoch, becomes king. And we read about that in the last chapter of Jeremiah. And it came to pass, verse 31, it came to pass in the 7th and 30th year of the captivity of Jehoiakim. Remember, he's that king I told you to note who was carried away by Nebuchadnezzar when he was just 18 years old after only reigning a few short months. In the 12th month, in the five and 20th day of the month, that evil Muradah, king of Babylon, in the first year of his reign, lifted up the head of Jehoiakim king of Judah and brought him forth out of the prison and spake kindly unto him and set his throne above the throne of the kings that were with him in Babylon and changed his prison garments and he did continually eat bread before him all the days of his life and for his diet there was a continual diet given him of the king of Babylon every day a portion until the day of his death all the days of his life and you might be thinking with me hmm, that's a weird way to end your book Jeremiah Well, I wonder if it's partly because Jeremiah now is an old man, 87, 88 years old. Maybe he's even in Babylon. Don't know where he's at. And he records this because Jeremiah is waiting for this captivity to end. Yes, Jeremiah has been the prophet who has been prophesying that judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming, but he's been the same prophet who has been prophesying that God is faithful and he will restore you. And this little book of Jeremiah here is a treasure to a special man who is his contemporary named Daniel. Because Daniel is one who recognized the faithfulness of Jeremiah and recognized the faithfulness of God and knew that all that God had said would come to pass for evil and trouble and judgment upon the land so too would all of the promises, including the specific promises that there are 70 years of captivity, God will keep his promise. God is faithful. So we see the whole life of Jeremiah. God was faithful in all of it to keep his word. He was faithful to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was faithful to God. And so now I ask you, I ask me, are we faithful? Do we trust and obey our God? One of my favorite verses is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, where it says, and the very God of peace, that's our God, that's my God. Sanctify you holy. It's a prayer that Paul prays. The very God of peace, sanctify you holy. And I pray, God, your whole spirit. Spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a big prayer request. But the next verse says, Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. God is faithful. Will we simply trust and obey him? Because if we trust and obey the faithful God, that's the only way we can be faithful. Because faithful is he that calls us who also will do it. That was true in the life of Jeremiah. It can be true in our lives if we but trust and obey. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this history. May we learn from Jeremiah and may we trust you and obey you. Thank you for your faithfulness, your loving kindness that's poured out upon us. Even in the midst of judgment, we saw in this history your faithful goodness. Lord Jesus, I pray that no matter what we deal with of temptations, failures, oppressions, difficulties, that we would always trust and obey. We commit ourselves to you now as we pray in your name. Amen.